Alleluia, Christ is risen. Amen. Please have a seat. So, call it out if you can complete this sentence. Friends don't let friends. Okay, I heard a bunch of things, but the main thing I heard was the correct answer. Drive drunk. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. In 1983, the Ad Council uh, inaugurated that, that campaign. And it's, it turns out to have been one of the most successful ad campaigns in the history of marketing. Since 1983, when that campaign was launched, Friends Don't Let Friends Drink Drive Drunk, according to the Ad Council's own website, 68% of Americans report that they've tried to actually keep somebody from driving drunk. Now, I don't know exactly how you come up with a statistic like that, but it makes a preacher's point, and that's all that counts. <laughs> but what else is it that, what else are things that friends don't let friends do? I mean, just go online and you'll find a whole bunch of things. My favorite t-shirt is one that I have to be careful when I wear it. It says, friends don't let friends drink Starbucks. <laughs> and it's the corporate colors of Dunkin' Donuts, and it has a Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> cup on the front. Yeah, so, yeah, some people are, and the thing is, I will frequent Starbucks. I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. But uh, friends don't let friends vote for, and I'll move on quickly past that one, <laughs> musical our musical friends will appreciate this one, and they helped us with it today. Friends don't let friends clap on one and three. <laughs> now, you have to be of a certain age, and you have to have been using uh, Internet resources since the 1990s to get this one, but friends don't let friends use AOL. <laughs> yeah, and only some of you were able to laugh at that because... Either you're still using AOL or you don't know. <laughs> what in the world is that? Okay, if you are a typography and font fan, you might say, friends don't let friends use Comic Sans. <laughs> and if you care about fashion, especially if you live in Florida, friends don't let friends wear socks with sandals. <laughs> and if you happen to belong to a gym program, you, depending on your gym, you might say, friends don't let friends skip leg day. Yeah, those are hard. Or I go to Orange Theory Fitness, and for us it's friends don't let friends skip strength day, because you do a lot of hills. You know, true friendship isn't a mere mutual admiration society. Friends tell each other the truth. And sometimes they're soft truths, fuzzy truths, warm truths, sometimes they're hard truths. Our passage today suggests that Jesus calls himself our friend and calls you his friend. So maybe we should consider if Jesus is a true friend, and especially if he is a friend like no, no other, what does this friend not let us do? This friend doesn't let friends think they have to be good enough smart enough, handsome or pretty enough to be his friend. 
You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I'm sure that every person in this room has at least those moments when you sit there and feel totally alone in the universe, like nobody cares, like there's nobody to listen, and there's nobody to help you out. I have the greatest job on planet Earth. And there's, there are things about this job that totally flummox me. And I would like to just go ask somebody to tell me what to do. And there's nobody who can tell me what to do. And I need to know that I have a friend in a high place and I can ask him. And I may not hear his voice, but I can know that he cares about me and he cares about you. I have the greatest marriage on planet Earth. And there are times in which I'm quite certain that I have so messed up and so disappointed Mrs. Kidd that she'll never want to talk to me again. And there are times when I have to go to, to Jesus and say, friend Jesus, will you fix this? So wherever you are, you need to know that Jesus is your friend personally by name. Elsewhere, John is told to write this in the book of Revelation. To the one who overcomes, I will give a white stone with a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it. He writes that to believers in the city of Pergamum in, East, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, where there was all kinds of red stone everywhere. And White stones were hard to come by, and they were expensive. And you have all kinds of inscriptions over there with names of people that have been honored. And what this says is, you will see your own special stone with his writing of your name on it, yours personally. Now, today, we're going to be baptizing Lynx. Now, Lynx's mom and dad thought a lot about what to name him. His name is actually William Linkston Ware Van Cole. Van Cole couldn't do anything about that. That's just the name he was born with. But he's William, son of Wilbert, son of Wilner. And Wilbert and Wilner are both here. The common theme in those names, there's a will in every one of them. That's on purpose. His second name is Linkston named, which is, which is the godfather of Wilna or Wilbert? Wilbert. Of Wilbert. And Ware is the great-grandfather, is the great-grandfather on the mother's side. You know, there was some hard bargaining to come up with those names. <laughs> and it's going to be wonderful to see Linkston grow into all those names. And then the name that we are going to confer today, Christ Bearer, baptized into the family. You and me, we're given a name. As folks in the vineyard movement sing in such a lovely fashion, I will change your name. Your name, you shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be 
confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. So in the first place, this friend doesn't let his friends think they have to be good enough, smart enough, handsome, or pretty enough to be his friend because he chose you and you didn't choose him. This friend doesn't let friends cherish anything or anyone more than they cherish him. Jesus is a friend, you'll notice in our passage, who commands loyalty and dares to say things like, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You're my friends if you do what I command you. And behind him stands the whole biblical orientation of what it means to be a friend of the God who says, you shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And here's the deal, brothers and sisters. He's your friend. If he loves you that much, he's going to remove sometimes the things that would get in the way of your love for him, of my love for him. He has a way of making sure that those he loves do not displace him with any other affection. Think of King David, who loses all pretense to moral superiority in the affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, her husband, and then finds himself kicked out of power, out in the desert, separated from family, friends, God's sanctuary, and it's out here in the desert that he comes to sing, Whom have I in heaven but you? And having you, I desire nothing on earth. Though my flesh and my heart should waste away, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm, 20, Psalm 73. The testimony of countless believers through the centuries, and I know of many in this room, is take away my titles and rank, my position, dignity, authority, take away my health, my sight, think of Fanny Crosby, take away my spouse, take away my hope for a spouse. Take it all and leave me with Jesus. And because he's my friend, I really do have enough. So this friend doesn't let his friends think they have to be good enough, etc. This friend doesn't let his friends think, he doesn't let his friends cherish anything or anyone more than they cherish him. This friend doesn't let his friends, think the world revolves around them. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And for 2,000 years, those who know that he has laid down their life for him and has extended their arms to him Understand that the deal is now we extend his arms to one another 
and to a world that does not yet know him. Notice this lovely um, juxtaposition in the hymn, O Sacred Head. At the end, the last verse is, My days are few, O fail not, with thine immortal power to hold me that I quail not in death's most fearful hour that I may fight befriended and see in my last strife to me thine arms extended upon the cross of life. And then the way that that same reality shows up in the third missionary prayer, the third mission prayer in the morning office, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. And so clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. So this friend doesn't let friends think the world revolves around them. He has laid down his life calls us to lay down our lives. But finally, this friend doesn't let friends live joylessly and cluelessly. The prelude to the command to lay down one's life for one another is this. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. And then he follows the command by telling them he's not treating them as mere servants anymore, but as friends do, he's letting them in on what's really going on in his heart, what he's really up to, everything, in other words, that I've heard from my Father. For all of us, there is a common purpose and a common joy in laying down our lives for one another, that we may know him and make his love known. He gives the new commandment in John 13 to love one another and says, here's why. So that the world can know that you're really my disciples. And then in John 17, he prays to the Father, make them one, Father, as you and I are one. Why? So that the world can know that we are one. Before he became Pope Benedict XVI, Cardinal Ratzinger said this, the only really effective apologia, that is, argument, for Christianity, the only real way to make the case that the faith is true comes down to two arguments, namely the saints the church has produced and the art which has grown in her womb. Now, for the moment, I want to tweak the saying a little bit because according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10, the church itself is the art that God produces. For we are his poema, the word we get poem from. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the saints that the church has produced doesn't just include St. Francis and St. Teresa, but each and every one of us. It is a thrill to be in a place where I see people laying down their lives for one another because they see the church as not just the way that you accessorize your life, but it's the way you build your life. It's a thrill to see people like you laying down your lives for one another because you see that Christ and the church belong together and that there is 
no other life to be had. It's a thrill to see you lay down your lives as you shower one another with the affection of Christ when someone loses a husband or a wife. Or give your legal practices over to making sure that Christ's little ones get a fair shake. Or dedicate your work as doctors or nurses to extending the healing hands of Christ. To make career decisions so that you can continue to be a part of the body of Christ as you lay down your lives and give selflessly of time and treasure for the support of the ministry and for the care of those among us who need help with heating and air or housing itself. I'm inspired to watch you lay down your lives to teach our children and to do so showing Christ's affection and respect. And don't think our kids don't see it. And I see you laying down your lives as you defer to one another in the parking lot, because it's not a big space. And for those of us who, are, who have mobility to give up this back parking lot for people who have limited mobility, in a thousand ways, it is it builds my faith, my knowledge of the fact that Jesus is my friend, to see him be your friend. And all I can ask as your preacher is more of the same. And to that end, that all of us may be more true to this, we pray once again as we prayed at the beginning of this service. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.